0: Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. This is the podcast that gives blood product recipients a platform to tell their stories, to thank donors, and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets, or breast milk. If you have ever been a donor, you could have been the one to save the life of the guests that we profile here each week on the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. Today we welcome Sarah, who was nominated by one of our listeners to share her journey of overcoming Acute Promyelocytic Leukaemia, or APML, as you will hear it referred to in this episode. APML is a subtype of acute myeloid leukaemia, a cancer of white blood cells. Survival rates have drastically improved this type of cancer in the last 10 years. But you will hear Sarah describe during this episode that when she was diagnosed it was explained to her that her cancer was so aggressive that she had to start her treatment immediately, not even leaving her time to freeze her eggs to preserve her fertility. Delightfully you will also hear from baby Riley during this episode. Sarah went on to have two beautiful children and at the time of recording this episode little Riley was only five weeks old. We welcome them to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast and community. Um, so can you just tell us how you became a blood product recipient?
1: Yeah, so um, 10 years ago, I can't believe it was 10 years now, it feels like, it feels like everything was just like a year ago, yeah. like the 2010. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I got um, diagnosed with uh, a form of leukaemia, so it was APML, which is um it's like a subtype of a subtype and it's it's really it's pretty rare but it's most common in babies and people over 40 and i was literally 20 when i got diagnosed and i was like um
0: don't really think you fit the criteria
1: yeah Yeah, i'm literally right in the middle here but okay yeah um the one from my sister's keeper so if people oh wow yeah it's quite aggressive Mm -hmm. um and it it can kill people really really quickly but it got picked up really really early so i barely even had any symptoms it was just through like a blood test for something else Mm -hmm. um which was just part of like i was in the military at the time so it was just part of a um just a standard you know you just need to blood test just to make sure that you're all good and then we'll go on and do this and this and this um and they called me back in they're like oh hey your white blood cells are really really low Mm -hmm. are you okay and i just thought i must have a cold or something and we You know, nobody really assumed it was anything. So I I think I had like four blood tests over the next four days and they dropped um they would drop each time, so each day and I think by the fourth blood test so your white blood cells I think they need to be like between seven and fourteen or something and by the time um the fourth blood test they were at like zero point eight. So they're like yeah, so they're like going down every single day. Um, and But I felt, I felt mostly okay. So, you know, we just kind of weren't really sure. So I did a bone marrow biopsy and then they're like, oh, yep, yeah, okay, so that's what's going on. Um, and they started treatment literally that night. So I went straight to the Royal Brisbane that evening. So they rang me on, like, the Tuesday night after they did the biopsy in the morning. I went straight to the Royal Brisbane. They started chemo that night. Wow, well, it's um, that aggressive.
0: Think- it moves that
1: quickly. Yeah, so this was the end of August, and I remember being like, oh, look, I've got a lot of stuff, you know, going on right now, and I'm pretty, I'm, I'm enjoying my life, so could we just put this on hold for Christmas, because mm. I've got some stuff to do, and I was just kind of having a joke, and the guy was like, oh, yeah, you'd be dead by Christmas, and I was like, oh, all right, okay, we'll carry on then, <laughs> do what you're doing. And sometimes you need um,
0: it to be that sharp, though, don't you, to make you realise that this really is your life, and this really is your reality for now.
1: Honestly, it took for a while. I was like, "Look, I'm pretty sure you guys have made a mistake because mm-hmm. I don't feel that bad." Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and they're like, "Well, we've already started, so we hope we didn't make a mistake." Like, well, yeah. So, okay. did you have any symptoms
0: um, at all? Looking back, I had
1: very, very vague symptoms that I probably that I couldn't, nothing that I couldn't put down to something else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like I started getting like really. I'm not like I'm not a, I'm not a great sleeper. Like it usually takes me hours to fall asleep, and like if I ever fell asleep before midnight, it was kind of, it was like a big deal. I'd be like, oh my god, how could I do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my sleep started turning into like a German train schedule. Like it was like clockwork. I'd be asleep by nine o'clock every night, and then if I didn't have to get up for anything the next day, I'd be waking up at nine o'clock on the dot. So I'd be getting like you know on like weekends and stuff. Or I'd be getting twelve hours at least twelve hours of sleep every night. Um, which was bizarre, but I was just, I was there for it. I was like, all right. I bet that feels like a distant
0: off? memory at the moment.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I forgot how to sleep. Again, yeah. Um, and, I, but I'd be really tired when I woke up. Like, uh, about probably an hour later, I'd just be like, you know, like the heavy eyes and, oh, just re- like, you know, when sometimes when you're not doing anything, you're like, oh, my God, I'm really tired for no reason. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it would sort of be that. And I just thought, oh, look, I'm not doing it. I'm just sitting on the lounge. That's why that is. And I'd get up and shake it off and go do something else. But Mm -hmm. I do remember it did start, like, getting to a point where I would be going to bed and be like, geez, I hope I'm not going to wake up tired tomorrow. Like, I definitely started thinking in that I was, like, a conscious thing to me. Like, wow, I'm Mm -hmm. really – this is really annoying me now. Mm -hmm. Um, I also started getting um, really – Pigged like when I exercise mm-hmm. and I would start like I, you know, I'd go to run or something, and I'd get maybe fifty meters in, and I'd feel like I'd just run like a marathon, and I, I sometimes I'd be like I just I just don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I can finish this, and but I would, so I would think that that was just an off day, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so no, it's just it wasn't anything that wasn't like if things were off, like things were odd, but I thought oh maybe I'm just doing too much or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but, yeah, I think if I had left it longer, there would obviously, you know, I would have, like, there's times I'd get dizzy and then I'd sit down and I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I I did too much or mm-hmm. I didn't eat enough or something like that. Yeah, a bit dehydrated uh, so or
0: blood sugar's a bit low yeah, or something. Yeah. It's, it's not, nothing too specific, is it?
1: Yeah, and nothing was, like, dramatic enough for me to go, oh, you know, maybe I'm not well or something like that, but i probably lucky that I did have to go and get that blood test because I wasn't any, someone to ever go to a doctor anyway. Like, I'd be like, oh, be right. You know, it'll clear itself up. So it's probably lucky in that respect that I did get that. It was serendipitous that I had to do that at that time. Um, and I th- one of the other um, symptoms is, like, because that cancer sort of eats up all of your healthy blood cells, like um, like my blood was stopped clotting and things like that, um but i bruise i bruise easily anyway so that would have been another thing that i would have have just noticed bruises and been like oh you know this happened this happened and i think by the time the bruises would have been enormous or internal or something like that i would have been it would have been a bit too late (laughs) um so yeah so they kind of started the treatment before i really felt that i needed anything i I was kind of sort of like i guess i was in shock for so long i was like are you sure you guys like do you want to Try another bone. I'm not sure. Maybe that one was broken. Mm. Um, But, yeah, so they um, started it that night and um, just threw a drip. And I had, like, I don't know, about five pills they just gave me and just started doing, you know, started kicking things off. And then the next day I had to go and get, like, the uh, central line put in and, like, everything just kind of – everything flipped on its head really quickly, you know, know, the day before I was – just uh, what I thought was healthy and twenty, and doing everything that twenty-year-olds do.
0: Yeah. Oh, um, so you? Yeah, you're young, weren't you? Twenty's young yeah, to have your world turned upside down like that.
1: Yeah, it was. It was just bizarre. Like within a few days, everything was completely, you know, and everything was heading in a direction that I was really happy with too. So, it was really. Um, crazy to have everything like just flipped upside down and all of a sudden nothing was what I thought it was going to be and I you know this I wasn't going to be working you know I wasn't going to keep working and doing what I thought I was going to be doing it was everything just everything completely different like I had to move back home I had to just yeah like anything you could think of had to change um so yeah they um I think within a few days I had to have a um a platelet transfusion right think um, and I had to have, and I, I didn't really need anything much more for a little while. But I think because um, I had several rounds of chemo, and I didn't end up needing, I was pretty lucky. that I didn't need um, bone marrow transfusion or anything, right? Um, and because the chemo all took, um, I was pretty lucky with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember there was a, a round that I just didn't bounce back from, mm-hmm. and I couldn't. I think going from. Uh, I was going from maybe a, a chair to a chair, and if I got to the chair, I was like, I had to get someone to bring the chair closer if I wanted to go somewhere, then I'd just edge it around the house to where I wanted to go, because I just couldn't get, like I just didn't, the, firstly energy, I just didn't have the energy, and secondly, if I just stood for too long, I just would end up falling over, mm-hmm. and it, but it didn't kind of go away, um, and I feel like you know people say they're tired, and I'm like, oh, just... I would agree, but I feel like I've never been as tired as I was at that point. Like I didn't have the energy to talk. Like people yeah. would say something to me, I couldn't explain anything. I just go, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't answer the phone or anything like that. But just didn't. I've never, I've never felt like that before or since. But mm-hmm. the, um,
0: just the level of fatigue, fatigue, and
1: yeah, yeah, I have never ever experienced anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what I needed um, a blood transfusion for. That one, I remember my dad took me into the hospital um, and it was just for an appointment, but I just thought it was normal. I was like, ah, you know, it'll take me a while, but I think it went on for maybe two or three weeks and I just, nothing was getting much better. Um, And I was like, oh, am I, is this, does it come back? Is there something wrong with me? Um, But we went in there and they were just like, oh, look, we'll just give you a transfusion. And I, um, getting in there, it it took about 25 minutes for us to get to the car park to off because i had to keep sitting at every everywhere we went i had to keep sitting and oh my god my baby's farting if you can hear that <laughs> <laughs> I, moved, you know?
0: I love you that know? so much and this is part of the reason that we want to tell stories through this podcast <laughs> Um, That just makes it so real, you know, people that need blood product, it doesn't matter whether you've got a farting baby sitting on your lap, or (laughs) if you're the richest person in the world, or you're a child, or you're an adult, or your socioeconomic status, or any of those things, it doesn't discriminate (laughs) when you need blood, you need blood to help to keep you alive, so... (laughs)
1: <laughs> they did tell me when they started the chemo they're like oh look we don't have time to freeze eggs or anything so you might be you know there's a good chance you're being fertile so yeah that was going to be one of
0: my questions
1: oh yes yeah they did say they, they made it sound like that was just going how it was going to be mm. and then so two kids later i you know I went back to the doctor I'm like hey mm. remember remember what you told me
0: yeah yeah that's incredible
1: um, yeah so we mm. dodged that bullet
0: yeah um, with the fatigue and not being able to do the physical activity, when you get a chance, when you don't have a five-week-old five baby sitting on your lap farting, um, the second episode that we recorded was with a man called Julian and he um, was in the army as well. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we spoke through with him, he has autoimmune encephalitis similar to our daughter Marley and needed plasma products to help him survive and to continue to preserve his life after his illness had gone into remission and he was talking so much about how debilitated he felt when he had trouble walking or talking or just doing things for himself having come from that army background where your physical endurance is such a big part of it but also your mental endurance is so important as well and you know if someone says jump you jump you don't ask questions or ask whether your body can do it Um, so it must have been a real challenge to go from being in the army and being active in the army and that career to being unwell and it taking 25 minutes to walk into a doctor's office
1: I think when I got to that point um like when you're at that level I just I couldn't even think of that at that time Like I just like I, like even laying when i was laying down like i could hear like you know when you hear your heart beating in your ears that kind of thing and yeah I was like like and i just that, that was all like i just laid there and kind of listened to my own heartbeat because that was literally all i could do
0: that was all you could um, process
1: and I, yeah and so i think that i was like that was taking all of my energy but the I, I guess i knew i was getting better when i was getting really stressed out about that like that other side of things and I was like oh I need and I had like numbers and and times and all that sort of stuff in my head I'm like I need to be able to run this far and I need to be able to do this and I need to be able to do this um so that is I think it imprints itself in your mind
0: um hello little one
1: (laughs) (laughs) um
0: and I think that's coming out of survival mode as well when you're so deep in survival mode and you're concerned about your own mortality rather than just your own morbidity it's literally just making it through one more night or one more day like you can't look any further into the future yeah. than that um it's when you yeah. can start to think about those other things um did they talk to you about survival rates at any point
1: uh, no they straight up just said don't google it right. so i didn't mm-hmm beginning I I was super naive because because it was acute and I was so young, I was like, Acute, that sounds good. So that's good, right? Oh you know, I've got the good one. Oh so um, so I didn't <laughs> Yeah, so I had no idea. Anyway, a couple of months later after after it's all said and done I went and googled it and I was like, oh dear, mm-hmm. I had a bad one. <laughs> oh I had a really bad one. Yeah right. um yeah, so I mean, it was good that I didn't know any of that and I didn't Google it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did felt like as time went on, I found out a lot more about it. Um, I the the one the, the cancer I had was uh, the mortality rate was one hundred percent up until I think the mid nineties. I think um, when they um, they discovered there was a little, there's a medication I took called Atra, right? Um, and I used to have to take it for two weeks two week cycles. Um, but it was like every time I had chemo, they would give me the ATRA, and then every time I had a bone marrow, they would I would do that. Um, so it would just be you know it'd, it'd be on and off, and the side effects from that were the most horrific. I, oh, I, the most horrific thing ever. But um, apparently that was the most important, like that was a pivotal thing. That was the thing that took it from a you know a death sentence to like a ninety eight percent remission, you know, long term wow. remission rate. And things like that. Um, so it was like, I guess that was a bit that you couldn't skip, which was a bit that I wanted to skip. Mm. Um, and it would give, like, I never really had a headache or anything, but so I was not really, I wasn't sure. I thought I just, you know, I was like, oh, this is a bad headache. But it was like, it was a migraine, couldn't open my eyes, like vomiting, mm. um lock the light sensitivity and everything like that. And that would go for the whole 14 days. Oh, wow. And it would just be, there'd be something quite like, you know, there'd just be something new every time. Like, you know, your nose would be bleeding or, you be vomiting or you wouldn't be able to get it up or there'd be something like something interesting and new and confusing every time you took it and I ended up going back to work um like by the time I was like cleared to work and everything like that and I was ha- like so excited to be able to get out there and go to work and, and just pretend to be normal um but I still had to take the outro every time I had a bone marrow so I'd go back to work and they'd be like you can stay home if you want like well I'm gonna be miserable at home I might as well you know yeah. here and get paid for it um and I remember just we had to play a video for a bunch of people and I went and crouched down behind this wall and just held my head on the wall and just, like, oh, just like sat in the air conditioning and I was, like, just just whispering stuff to myself to just, like, get through that next, you know, I've got to talk to a people for half an hour, you know, just get through that and then you can sit down or you can do this. Um, and sometimes I had to, like, leave, you know, my nose would just start bleeding in front of all these people. And because, you know, my hair had grown back and things like that, so people I'd know, you know, I looked...
0: Mm. Yeah, sure. So all of a sudden
1: I'd be like running off with like all this blood dripping out of me and all this <laughs> sort of stuff and everything. So it was, uh, things like that were kind of prolonged. And I think I had to take the atra for two years.
0: Oh, wow. So yeah, so it was really, uh,
1: really nice. It was uh, two weeks, two week, uh every time I had the bone marrow for, for two weeks. So I'd have like, I think I had them, they started out being monthly and then three monthly or something like that. So I did get breaks in between them, but. Yes, it was glorious when that finished, but Mm. I guess everything had its own side effect. Mm. Um, And unfortunately, that whole process has disqualified me from ever giving blood. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I was like, every time I go, I'm like, I just, I'm fine now. I swear I can give blood. Um, We've had quite a
0: few guests come through the podcast that are in the same situation that the way that they would love to give back because blood has been so life-saving to them is to give that gift to someone else. So um, by doing this podcast, that's your way of giving thanks to people and giving back. And hopefully we can raise some more awareness by you telling your story so that other people can donate. Hopefully. I do get people like, what do you
1: want for your birthday? Give some blood.
0: Yeah, (laughs) we do the same thing.
1: (laughs) What can we do to support you?
0: Go and give plasma.
1: (laughs) Yeah, give money. Uh, my brother always sends me a photo on my birthday every year of him giving blood so that's you know we've got one we've got one done and that's really I special there's a lot of people I know even, yeah there's a lot of people i know that probably didn't wouldn't have even thought to have given blood before that have gone and given blood so hopefully there can be more and more and i know it's like it's scary when you go in there and there's you know there's only like one or two other people there and you, know, you know yeah and yeah it's been scary but. The um, day that I did get the big transfusion was that day like trying to get into the hospital and everything mm. and how long it took me to get there and, and they I don't know whose blood it was, but it was the most like I oh it was like Lane Beachley blood or something. It was incredible. <laughs> like I, I, I like to hit back to the car afterwards. I it was unreal. Like it the it was instant. I I'm like, Oh my god, I could open my eyes, like wow I could, I could I think I like ran up and down the stairs a few times on the way out to the car park. Like I went down the stairs and I came back up just because I could.
0: That's incredible.
1: Uh, it was, oh, it was I? Yeah. It was, I don't know. There's an O positive person out there. Yeah. And your blood was amazing. Wonder
0: if um, Lane Beachley's ever been a blood product recipient. Maybe we'll use this podcast episode to see if we can get <laughs> her on the show as well.
1: will find out.
0: Hashtag Lane Beachley's blood. <laughs> it
1: was- Someone's someone super active and someone with a lot of energy. That's
0: awesome. yeah. So there's no genetic testing or anything that you can have done for the kids to see whether they're more likely to have that type of cancer? You know how you can have the BRCA testing done for breast yeah. cancer to see if you've got that gene? I take it the type of cancer that you had doesn't fall under that category. No.
1: There's, um, there's nothing they can really look for Mm -hmm. um and because the type of cancer it is it's uh, when i was speaking to my doctor um it's really it's a bit of a pain because um it's very different from like a lot of leukemias in that um it's its remission rate is so high when it's caught and treated right um and it's usually with um generally there's a flip of the coin um Mm -hmm. if you're going to relapse with a leukemia or blood cancer um so it's about 50 50 chance that he was saying but with this the chance of a relapse is so low that i'm i'm as likely to get it again as as you are getting it oh wow yeah um so the relapse rate is uh, i think it's about two or three percent so it's like it's really really low um and it's just a very different a very very different kind of cancer Right. Um, which makes it really difficult. But they they suspect, and obviously, no one can ever say for sure. that it was triggered. Um, I was in a really big car accident about three months before I was diagnosed.
0: Oh wow! I was sick of
1: it. Um, yeah, and I was I was in the passenger seat, and we were T boned on that side. So they had to get the jaws of life and everything, and I was like um, like cut out of the car, and I had this, like bruising from pretty much my neck to my ankle. And like just all turned around and everything like that. And they think that that kind of trauma, like that deep trauma, sort of activated those cancer cells that everybody's got, you know, in their, yep. um, their bodies already. So obviously, I mean, again, you know, it's one of those things that they'll never be able to say for sure, but they're like, well, I mean, it would make sense, but
0: mm-hmm. it could also be unrelated. Well, whether that guess, accelerated the onset of it or something who knows yeah, it's one of those me, things no, just me, know. That, that was
1: it shocked them into uh working so it's mm-hmm. you know if so i'm hoping that maybe that that's what it was so that i don't have to be like oh god i want to pass something on to you guys yeah sure things it's a lot easier to be the person getting treated than i think it is to be watching it yeah if that makes sense. um yeah. it's sort of seeing people's faces when they walked into the room i'm like oh i think i feel better than i look mm-hmm. just i'm not it's not that bad and you know you sort of find yourself consoling people a little bit being mm. like because they're so shocked and um worried and all of that sort of stuff and it just it it felt easier to be to put, like rather than worrying about the other person i guess you know with your kids when you see them uh, or if they do anything and you just kind of it's always there it's always in your mind you're always wondering if they're okay or if you know or whatever you're it's always there yeah absolutely it the same, yeah it would be the same sort of seeing somebody i guess um mm. in that in a situation you know like that in hospital mm. you'd be like oh my god what it's got like i you've got no idea how they feel you don't know what's going on and just being the it just felt easier yeah to be able to explain, to be able to say, you know, I'm okay, this is what this is, this is what this is,
0: then I think it would be to watch because it seemed pretty full on. Yeah, for sure. So I am a full-time carer to our daughter, Marley, who has um, seronegative paediatric autoimmune encephalitis. So what that means is that her immune system is wrongly identifying her healthy brain cells as foreign and attacking her brain. Um, and when she relapses, that comes with significant brain inflammation and seizures that can be quite brief or can last for anything. Her record seizure was a thirty-nine hour seizure. Um, oh and God. when she is like that, she, you know, she, she gets put into an induced coma. She requires intubation, ventilation. She can't breathe for herself. All of those types of things. So. Um, the only thing that has worked to stabilise her, there's no cure for her condition, but the only thing that has worked to stabilise her is regular immunoglobulin infusions, which is made from human plasma. So that's exactly why we've made this podcast is, you know, I've told Marley's story and that has had so many people want to donate because they would never thought about blood plasma platelet donation being used in that way. And I thought if we can have that many donors who have joined the Milkshakes for Marley lifeblood team want to donate and we've saved, you know, thousands and thousands of lives through her lifeblood team, what would happen if we told those stories on a national scale? So, um, and it's hard because people ask me quite often, how do you talk about the fact that, you know, Marley's nearly died a few times and we've had to say goodbye to her You know, we haven't thought that she was going to make it through plenty of nights. We had, you know, lots of airlifts from Canberra to Sydney for paediatric intensive care, where she's been critically unwell. And you know, my husband has said goodbye to her as they're loading her into a chopper, and not known if she's still going to be alive when he gets to Sydney to meet us in three hours' time, and all of those types of (laughs) things.
1: Way after
0: having like ten months postpartum, not five weeks. But you know, if this was a way that you thought that you could get enough blood product that you could keep your child alive, then I think it's something that any parent would do. And, you know, you were saying before, it's scary if you go in and you don't see too many people, you know, on a donor floor in a blood donor centre with everyone having to have a couple of weeks off after the COVID vaccination and even just post, you know, lockdowns and all of that kind of stuff the blood supply has taken such a massive hit and it terrifies us because if there isn't enough plasma left to treat Marley, she could mm. die. Now, that's not something that is reasonably likely to happen anytime soon because there's a decent reserve, but I did some media um, for Red Cross Lifeblood last week and they needed 500 new donors in the next two weeks to maintain the blood supply in South Queensland just to meet their quotas to make sure that they had enough and it just makes you realize how incredibly important donors are in Australia and so many people like oh you know I'll think about doing it one day or I'll get around to it or whatever but it's literally people's lives that are on the line if we don't have enough blood plasma platelets in you know in the blood supply so That's why we've made this podcast, is to tell the survival stories of blood product recipients, to give thanks to those donors because they literally keep people alive, Um, but also in the hope that if people hear these stories that they might register to go and do a blood donation as well. I'm so grateful to Sarah and her family for making the time and space to do this interview for us with a five-week-old baby. To go from diagnosis of a condition and being told not to Google it because the survival rates are so poor, to now having her health back and living a happy, fulfilling life raising her family is truly incredible, and none of this would have been possible without the generosity of blood donors. Nothing feels more Australian, like the modern demonstration of mateship, than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift, and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was APML survivor, Sarah. Marley's dad, my lovely husband, Jeff, did the audio production for this episode. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au. And we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood Team Tally. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. Today's guest was nominated by one of our listeners. If you would like to nominate a guest or you have a story of your own to tell, please contact me through the Milkshakes for Mali Instagram or Facebook pages. And as always, I will leave the final word to Mali. Thank you for my plasma.